Amen. I, I love that because oftentimes when I'm sharing Christ with somebody, you know, they'll say, as a matter of fact, it happened this, this last week, they'll say, well, you know, I don't, I don't like religion. I'm not real, real religious. I, I'm, I'm not a religious person. And, and I tell them, me too. Because in, in fact, I, I can't stand religion because what it really is about is a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I have to tell you, I've wrestled with this all week. We're, we're in, in uh, toward the latter end of a series, Armor Up series, putting on the armor of God, right? And, and yesterday, or last week, we talked about the first part of the helmet of salvation. I broke that into two weeks because of what it is, and, and really it's a very heavy subject. And last week we talked about how salvation in the Word of God is really broken down into three phases. You have your justification, right, which means that you have accepted Jesus Christ in your heart as your Savior. You believe that Jesus was the Son of God, or is the Son of God, came and became fully man to die on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. When you believe that, when you accept that and invite him into your heart, you're justified. Your salvation, your justification part of your salvation is complete. Nothing you do to earn that, nothing you do can lose that. You can't even give it away. You can't turn and say, Lord, I don't want your justification, I don't want your salvation anymore, take it back. Because Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says he keeps it. Because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit until we receive the promise. So it has nothing to do with us. That's the first part of salvation. Second part of salvation is really what we're getting into, and that's the sanctification part. Okay? However, let me leave that alone for just one second and just tell you the third part of salvation is glorification. That is another thing that has nothing to do with us. That is the part where we breathe our last breath and we're taken up and we stand before our king. And we become glorified. We're given new bodies, glorified bodies. And our glorification is entering into heaven. So the justification part, first phase, and the glorification part, the third phase, we have nothing to do with except accepting him. He does it all. He does everything. The middle phase, which we talked about, began to talk about last week, this sanctification phase, that phase has everything to do with us. That is from the moment we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, from that moment, every breath until we breathe our last is what's called our sanctification. That is how close do we build our relationship with Jesus Christ in that time frame. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm not going to go through a big intro in, in terms of the other piece of armor. It's online. You could go listen to it. Because what we have to talk about today is pretty huge. And, and i got to tell you that this week, as I've been wrestling with this, wrestling not because of the truth of it, but wrestling because how in the world do I fit this into one week? How in the world do we talk about our sanctification and the importance of that, especially because some of the things I'm going to reveal to you today to, 
to some of you may be brand new. Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and never even heard this. Because sanctification is a lot more than what we think it is. Because when we think of salvation, we think that he does everything. And that's the justification part of it. So uh, another thing I want to warn you up front, because I know I tend to do this. I was teased earlier about it, uh, that, that I'll tend to kind of start to go through uh, Scripture and, and not give you time to look it up. I will try and give you enough time to look it up. But I want to encourage you, write down the scriptures. Even if you do get time to look it up, write down the scripture that I'm given because as Acts 17.11 says, like the Bereans, you need to take it home, you need to open your word, and you need to prove what I'm telling you. Okay? What the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. You need to open scripture yourself. It needs to become real to you. It needs to be proven to you. So I want you to write these down and then look at them later as we go through them today. So just to begin, let's, let's, uh, we read this every week. We're going to start in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God. I'm going to read verses 10 through 17a, which is where we are so far. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Again, Ephesians 6, verse 10, now verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's telling us where the battle is. It's not what we see. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And let me remind you that righteousness is not our own righteousness. That's not the righteousness we're going to be talking about today in our sanctification. It's different. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, that is putting on the righteousness of Christ. That's understanding in our mind how the Father sees us. The Father sees us as righteous. Is that awesome? That's awesome. He looks at me through Jesus' eyes, through Jesus' filter. He sees me as perfect, so we're to put on his righteousness. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation, and that's where we're at right now. Take up the the helmet of salvation. What does this helmet protect? You know, when you think about the Roman soldier, you think about the piece of armor they put on, you know, we, we look at what those pieces protect. When we talked about the shield, we, we said that that was the, the only moving piece. That was the piece that you could direct in different directions, right? So the helmet, what does the helmet protect? Think about it. The helmet protects our eyes, our ears, our nose. It protects what we take in. What we take into ourselves, this helmet protects. 
what we take in through TV, what we take in through relationship, what we take in through the radio, even through our eyes, whatever. So it's here to protect what we take in. It's also there to protect what we process. We pray for wisdom. We pray for knowledge. Right? We gain knowledge and we pray for wisdom. The helmet protects that. Because there is a wisdom given by God and there is a wisdom of man. So we want protection knowing that the wisdom that we are gaining and the wisdom that we're using in our daily walk with Christ is a wisdom from Him. We need that helmet to protect that wisdom. Then it also protects what we produce. Our mouth. You know, our mouth is the greatest thing that was given to us in terms of reaching out to people, in terms of sharing with people, in terms of building relationship. But it's also the most dangerous. The mouth can be the most dangerous part of the person's body because it can destroy. It can build up, but it can destroy. So these are the things that are being protected by this helmet, this helmet of salvation. We're going to call it helmet of sanctification because why? You can't, it, when, when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, it talks about doing it consistently, doing it daily. Okay? You cannot put on or take off, again, the justification part of salvation or the glorification part of salvation. So what, what he's talking about here is the sanctification part of your salvation. So that's what we're going to deal with specifically. That's the only part of your salvation that you have anything to do with, that can be taken on and taken off. That's why he said you need this piece of armor. Your sanctification is an armor to what it protects. So why is sanctification important? I wish we could maybe make up a different word. That, that word is just like a weird word. Sanctification, right? Okay, but why is sanctification important? And this is important to hear. And this is what we're going to go over this morning. Because this is what a lot of Christians, even Christians who have been Christians for a long time, don't really get and don't really understand. <coughs> Although our eternal destiny is never in question. Remember Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Although that is never in question. The size or scope of our reward is. Let me repeat that. The size and scope of your reward. When you stand before your king. When you are ushered into heaven. The amount of reward you get fully depends upon your sanctification. You have a choice in that. That is something that, that we control with our will. And much of that control is giving up our will to Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 11. We're going to read 11 through 27. This is the parable of the ten minas, and it, minas is uh, uh, their, their money system. That, that was uh, an amount of money. And this is a parable that Jesus Christ was telling the disciples. 
And he was referring this to our walk with him. Okay. So we're going to start in verse 11. Again, Luke 19, I just want to make sure everybody's there. And write this down, you can look it up later. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. This is Jesus. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember, the disciples and all the people were thinking Christ was there to be the Messiah in a physical sense. He was going to take over. He was going to be on a physical kingdom throne, David's throne. That's what they were expecting. That's why when, when he walked into uh, Jerusalem, they, the triumphal entry, they all hailed him. They were excited about it. And one week later, they crucified him. Because he was not here to establish his earthly kingdom first. He will, by the way. He will. Okay, so... He said, therefore, verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. He's talking about himself. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. Right there, he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel. Okay. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your minas has made ten minas more. Verse 17, And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minas has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came to him, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept, laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him. And give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for the enemies of mine, who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. I want you to understand what he's talking about here. The servant with the one minas who did nothing about it, oftentimes people will look at that as, as the unsaved world. That's, that's not the unsaved world. Because remember, he was given something to do. Okay, salvation, the justification part of salvation, has nothing to do with us. What he's explaining here are people that are saved, 
that have accepted Jesus Christ, that let him reign over them, but then they were stewards of what he gave him. He gave those servants. The reason I say it has nothing to do with the unsaved is because he already qualified the unsaved. He said that those were the people who did not allow them or him to reign over them. And what did he say at the end? Bring those before me and they will be slaughtered. So we already know that the difference here, he's talking about in the, in the parable, those who have accepted Christ. Because all those who haven't will be slaughtered. Okay, it doesn't say that that servant was slaughtered. The one who only had the one and hid it. It said his will be given to someone else. His will be given to the faithful servant. Okay? And so I want you to understand what this is, that this is talking about something beyond this life. This is not talking about if we're good on earth, he's going to give us things here on earth. And I'm not saying he doesn't do that, because he does. I, however, do not believe in this health, health and wealth gospel where you pray and automatically he's just going to give you things. Because if you pray for his will and you pray for him to work in, his, in your life, I'll tell you one thing he's going to do. He's going to do whatever it takes to build your faith. That could be giving you something. That could be providing you with with something that you enjoy. But it also could be testing your life. So, So this isn't talking about here on earth. Remember, the king came back, the, the, the authority came back in this parable. And these servants were standing before him. Christ has not come back yet. When we stand before him when he returns, that's what this is talking about. So the reward is after the work was done. The reward in heaven will be after your sanctification process, after the the time that you have on earth here, from the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Savior to the moment you breathe your last breath. That's the time frame that we're talking about. By the way, all Christians will stand before the Lord in judgment. Not just the world. Now we're talking about two different judgments here. We're talking about first the great white throne judgment. That is where the world will stand before God. And he will judge them according to their own words. Okay, That's not the judgment. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's not the judgment you're going to stand before you're going to stand before Jesus Christ as judge at the Bema Seat of Christ. The Bema Seat of Christ is a very different judgment. Okay, This is not a judgment where we are judged of our sin. Okay, Think of it more in terms of being rewarded for what we do. Now the judgment part comes in, and we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. The judgment part comes in when he is judging your works. He's judging what you do here on earth. We see we can't escape that. If if we were if that didn't matter, then he would have just taken us up to be with him the moment that we accepted Christ as Savior. But he didn't. Why? Why didn't he? Because he, what the what the video said. He wants this relationship. 
We have accepted him. We've given up our will to accept him. But we need to give up our will to be in relationship to him. That is so much more complex because it has to do with us. It has to do with what we give up. So again, all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to show you two scriptures that say that. Turn to 2 Corinthians. And again, write this down if if you need to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And I'm going to show you two that talk about this judgment. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, in 2 Corinthians, he's talking to Christians. This is not talking to the world. This is talking to Christians, the church at Corinth. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. What's that last part? Whether good or evil. He didn't say that you're going to receive what is due for whatever good thing you do. You will be judged on the good and the bad. So just like that that servant, you're going to be judged on what you were given, what you did with it, and either more will be given you, or it could be taken away from you. That's the judgment. That's the judgment part of it. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. This is another verse talking about and showing that, that even Christians will stand before judgment with Christ and, and, uh, and our works will be judged. Matthew 12, verse 36. Matthew 12, verse 36. says this. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to read 36 and 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for air, every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that has to do with both. Because even the world, if, if they're not written in the Lamb's Book of Life and they're not saved, they will be judged according to their own words according to their own thoughts, because no man has even held up to his own standards, the Bible says. So we will be, in, in, uh, at the Bema Seat of Christ, we will all stand before him, if we're saved, we will all stand before him in, in this judgment, for, to receive these rewards, to see what, as a faithful servant or unfaithful servant, what did we do with our life? What did we do with this perfect gift that was given to us? What gift am I talking about? Not the gift of salvation. Not the gift that, that one day I will receive the promise and stand before him and, and be, be in heaven with him. That's not the gift I'm talking about. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then when, when we accept him, we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. So what did we do with that relationship? It's not what did we do with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what did we do with that gift? What did we do with the relationship between us and the Holy Spirit? Remember, it's all about relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about doing. It's not about having this list of ten things that I'm going to do in my life. And and these ten things, you know, they, they better get me good reward in heaven. I, I helped feed the poor, I helped do this, I helped do that. And those may all be good things. I'm not saying that. 
But do you know what, what Christ is going to look at is the intent of the heart. What made you do those things? Was it because you wanted this reward? Was it because you just did it out of duty? Or was it because of a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? See, we're all members of the same body, but we're separate members. We all have different things that the Lord in the church wants us to do. So if one person does not pick up their part, there's lack. So it's, again, it's, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into us. And then from there, he tells us what he wants us to do. All we're really doing is yielding our will to his. So we have hope through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he sends the Holy Spirit, he gives us hope. And I want you to turn to 1 John. He gives us hope through faith in our relationship with him. Again, I said before, why, why when we first get saved, doesn't he just take us up? It's because he wants to build that faith. He wants to build that hope in us that we learn who he is, that we have a relationship with him, that we become faithful stewards, not of our works, not not what we're trying to do, but what we're trying to let him do through us. Okay? But we have hope in that. He gives us hope of a better day. I'm not talking about next week or a month from now. That hope is that one day we will stand before him. That hope is one day we will be in a place of peace and perfection. That one day when we will be in heaven and the cares of this world will no longer be ours. The burdens of this world will no longer be ours. We will be with him in a perfect place, in a perfect situation. That's the hope he's talking about. So we have hope through our relationship with Christ. First John chapter 4, we're going to read 15 to 17, says this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And a God abides in him. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He's saying you can have confidence when you go before the Lord, when you go stand before him in judgment. You can have confidence. Why? Because of our relationship with Him right here, right now. If we live in our relationship with Him and we let Him work in our lives, we understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit reveals Scripture to us. It builds that hope. But then that hope builds confidence. That confidence to know that I am doing what you want me to do. That... What the Holy Spirit is doing in my life is exactly what Jesus Christ wants me to do. That gives me confidence. That's kind of like going back to the parable of the ten minas. It's like that that uh, servant who took 
took the one minus and, and turned it into ten. Okay, as he's doing that, as he's working that, making the investment, he's seeing the fruit of it. It wasn't that he, he just put one in and, you know, I, I don't know until the end that I had ten, you know, kind of put it into the lottery. <laughs> he didn't do that. He worked it. He was a faithful servant. He worked it. As he worked it, he saw fruit of it. So he saw when he gained another one and he had two. And then he had three and he had four. And he was building it up. He saw the fruit of it as he was building his life. That gave him confidence. Do you think he had confidence when he went before the ruler? Yeah. I would. If the ruler gave me one and I'm bringing him back ten, I'd be pretty confident. As a matter of fact, I couldn't wait to get in there. I can't wait. Because I want him to see that I did ten. I did ten. You ever, you ever in a sales job, sales jobs tend to have these competitions, right? And, and please understand, I'm not saying we're in competition. <laughs> okay, but you, you look at that and you look at whatever other people are doing and, and, and you're working hard yourself and, and you're seeing that you're doing really well. So what happens when you go to that sales meeting and you know you've done really well? You're confident. You're confident that he is going to be pleased, whoever that is, whether it's your boss. In this case, okay, this was the ruler in this parable. In our case, Jesus Christ. So wouldn't it be amazing at the end of our lives, when, whenever we know that, I mean, and we don't know when that is, obviously, but at the end of our lives to know, to have confidence in the hope that he's going to be pleased. You know, Paul said that he, he just, he, he lives, he runs the race, he works for the fact that his master, Jesus Christ, is going to say, well done. Well done. That's what he wants to hear. That's what we want to hear. But do you know it doesn't have to be, I hope it happens, I'm confused, but I, I really hope it happens. I hope when I stand before him, I hope I did some, some things that he's pleased with. That's not what this says. This says we can have confidence in it. So we can know. Why do we know? It's because if you're doing the works because of the works, you'll never know. You'll never know because the Holy Spirit didn't work it in your heart. But if you're doing works as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you'll have the confidence. I want to give you a, an example. Okay, let's say we had a 50-gallon drum here and we had a hose. Okay, and we turn the hose on and, and water's pouring out of the hose. That 50-gallon drum is you. Okay? That hose is, and, and the water is Jesus Christ. You have control of the nozzle. You could turn it on a little bit, and it'll take a while for that thing to fill up. You could turn it on full blast, and you can let it fill. When it's full, you could turn it off, and you could just feel that in yourself. But there's no exterior acknowledgement of what he's doing in your life. So if I'm sitting and I see just the side of this drum, I have no clue how much water's in that unless I went and looked inside. However, if you let that faucet run and you just never touched it, 
you just let it run and you left the hose in that 55-gallon drum, people sitting around you are going to see what's inside it. They're going to see what's inside it because it starts coming out. Because you cannot contain everything that Jesus Christ wants to put into you. In your relationship with him, you can't contain that. We can try, and we shut it off. And then what happens is there's leaks here and there, and it just goes down, and we might fill it up a little bit here, fill it up a little bit there. But the only time it makes a difference for those around us is when we let it go, and we don't turn it off. And we let the Holy Spirit permeate ourselves, our bodies, our souls, fill us up to the point where Jesus Christ pours out. Have you ever seen somebody and talked with somebody and looked at them and just knew, man, that, that was not a, that, that, I see Jesus Christ. I see Jesus Christ in that person. That's because they never shut it off. That's because they let him fill them up to the part of overflowing. And he is what came out. That's where the works come from, by the way. Now, the difference is, if, if you go in and you feed the homeless at a homeless shelter, if you do that when you're half full, or you do that when you're, you're, you don't have the Holy Spirit really leading you to do that, that's, that wasn't his decision, that was yours. There's a huge difference between that and filling up and letting the Holy Spirit tell you, go over there, go over there and feed them. Go over there and share who I am with them. Do you see the difference? So, so, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. So it really comes down to the focus. The focus is my focus on doing those works. Is my focus on doing the works to gain the reward? Or is my focus on my relationship with Jesus Christ? Big difference. And see, oftentimes we don't see that as Christians. And we think that, well, you know, when I get to heaven, it's all, it's all going to be the same anyways. You know, no, it's not. Your experience in heaven will not be the same as somebody else's. That's, that's part of what we went through. We're going to go through it a lot more. There's scripture that teaches that. That our experiences in heaven are different based on the rewards, based on the authority that he's going to give us. We must endure in our relationship. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, 13. We must endure in our relationship, in our relationship with him, our relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 13 says this. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we, had if we have died with him, we will also live with him. What's that next part? If we endure, we will reign. Okay, that if is a really important thing, because it doesn't say that if we have died with him, we will all live with him, and we'll all reign with him. He could have added that on to the previous part of the sentence, right? But he didn't. 
He said what? If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I, I, I want you to write these down because later you're going to go through these. And the last part of that is going to make a little bit more sense to you. I, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now, but when it talks about denying him, you know, he, he's talking about Christians here. He's talking about people who are justified, who have been saved. Some of those turn around then and deny him. Okay? And what he's saying is, you know what, he's still faithful. Because he won't deny himself. And when we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what I mean when I say you cannot give your salvation away. You cannot give your ticket to heaven away. Once you have received him, it's done. Why? Because he can't deny himself. And if we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, he's not going to deny himself. He's going to accept, because of the Holy Spirit, you into heaven. However, if we endure, we will reign with him. That's the authority that I was talking about. And we're going to get into that a little bit here. We will receive treasure of our relationship with him. We'll receive treasure. When we stand before him and we go to heaven and we stand before the beam of seat of Christ, we will receive treasure because of our relationship with him. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 10, says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, speaking to Christians. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. That's the body of Christ. Whether good or evil. The 2 Corinthians 5, 10. He's talking to Christians here. He's saying that all stand before judgment. All Christians, all those who are justified, who are bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ and have the hope of glory, the hope of eternal life, they will all stand before the Lord. And it says they will receive what is due. What is due what? What is due because of their justification? No, what is due because of their sanctification. What is due because of how they developed their relationship with Jesus Christ from that moment that they were justified to the moment they gave their last breath. And it said they will receive. It's not about just the good, does it? I mean, it would be so much easier if it would say they're going to receive what's good. That's why you can't say, because I, I, I grew up kind of, it, with, the, with the mind frame that the Bema Seat of Christ really is more of an awards ceremony. But that's not true. It is a judgment. It is a judgment just like as we read in Matthew about the ten minas, and now we're reading here whether good or evil. So we're going to be judged for what we do and what we don't do. Does this mean we're going to be judged for sin? No. Okay, remember, our sin is covered. We're not talking about sin because sin is what costs us and, and we deserve hell for sin. Okay, that's, that's not what 
what it's talking about here. We're already bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are given the hope of, of eternal glory with him. So it's not about sin. We're not going to be judged for sin. We are going to be judged about what we do and what we don't do. What opportunity we had, did we take that opportunity? And what I mean by opportunity is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about anybody telling you that you need to do this because it's right or wrong. Okay? We all know that we need to give our tithes and our offerings. Okay? However, the intent in which you give that is really important. If you give that out of duty, it's different. You're laying your treasures up in, on this earth. If you do that for duty versus if you do that for love. If you do that because the, the Holy Spirit convicted you of it, because you read in Scripture about it. Same with these other works that we do. You know, do I do, go knocking on doors to share Christ with people because, you know, I gotta get my, my ten hours in this week, you know, cause that, that's what I feel I gotta do and I want that reward in heaven. Well, that's a little bit different motivation than if I have developed my relationship with Jesus Christ that He's flowing out of me and I, I just, I just can't sit there. I just gotta tell somebody about Christ. Somebody, whoever's next in my way, they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. It doesn't even matter what they say. I'm going to apologize in advance because you're going to hear about Jesus Christ. Do you see the intent is different? The intent is I can't help it when I have a relationship with him. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about him pouring outside of me. And he's the one that does it. You know, the water that's coming outside of that barrel, I can't control. I can't do anything about it. If, all I can control is that spigot. If I decide I'm going to leave that spigot on, then that water's going to come out and it's going to go wherever it wants to. It's going to go out and it's going to just permeate whatever it wants to. See, that's what Jesus wants. He does that in our relationship with him. So again, we will receive the treasure of our relationship. We will stand before God to receive what is good as well as what is bad. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, he's talking to Christians here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 10 to 15. And this is talking about the judgment, the Bema Seat judgment. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master, and this is Paul that's speaking, like a master builder, I laid a foundation. He laid the foundation of the gospel, the gospel which, which is our justification. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care as he builds upon it. Do you know that once you become a Christian, when you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the second you open your mouth to tell anybody about that, whether it be just at the very beginning or whether it be if you even become a preacher, do you understand that what you are doing is building upon a already built foundation? Paul said he built the foundation in the Corinthian church of the gospel. 
And so what they did is they went and they built upon that foundation. What did they build? Well, they're building how we develop this personal walk with the Lord. What we're supposed to do. How we're supposed to read the Word of God. How we're supposed to learn to trust Him. To build our faith in Him. Let Him direct our paths. All of that is being built on the foundation of the Gospel. So he says, let each one take care how he builds. So even the person just getting saved. We're to take care of what we say about Jesus Christ and about the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way except the gospel, except Jesus Christ. No other foundation can be laid. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hand, straw. These are all building tools that are used to build, right? Each one's work will become manifest for the day. You notice in your Bible the word day is probably capitalized. Okay, that's the day that the Lord returns. It's talking about a specific day. For the day will dis- disclose it. This day where, where we are judged. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You can imagine if, if the Lord, you know, it, 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 picture, I'm, I used to be a builder, and, and you know, picture that, that you build this structure with your life, and you, you use various elements to build it with. It, it said, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, or I always knew it as stubble. <laughs> That's what the King James said, wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, these are all building elements that you use in building your structure. So as you build your relationship with Jesus Christ and you're, you're building this with these things, imagine Jesus walking up to that structure, just lighting up his blowtorch and going like this. And whatever stays was good. Whatever doesn't stay was burnt up. That's the picture of what's going on here. It will be tried by fire. And then uh, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. reward. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved as through fire. What we're talking about here is... What we do in our lives are what we call works, right? The motivation of those works makes all the difference in the world. You know, God said he knows the intent of the heart. He knows why we go and do something. Is it because he told us to or because we're trying to receive a reward or be a good person, if you will? So what this is saying here is that we will stand before God and receive... What we will receive is tried by fire. Some will suffer loss in that. And and by the way, I think all of us will suffer a certain amount of loss. There is nobody that will build that structure with all the perfect elements. Even Paul said he is the chief of sinners. We are all in this flesh. There are going to be works that we do in the flesh. There are going to be works that we do that are going to be burned up. Everybody will. 
there will be a certain amount of loss that we will all suffer. And there will be gain that we receive as well. Even Paul knew he would suffer loss. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to show you that. Paul, who was probably the greatest apostle, probably one of the greatest men that we see in the Word of God, that that was, when you think of a sold-out Christian, you think of Paul, right? Even Paul knew that he could suffer loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27 says this, Do not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you obtain it. And by the way, what he's saying there, he's not saying that only one person gets the rewards. You know, that would be a little defeating, wouldn't it? (laughs) He's not saying that. He's saying, run as if. If you've ever been in a a race, I, I did track when I was a kid. If you've ever been in a race, you run so that you would win. You give it your everything. You give it your all. You extend yourself beyond what you normally can do. And that's what he's saying. Every athlete, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. He's talking about the Olympics back then. But we, an imperishable. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, Paul knew the enemy. He knew that there was an enemy out there that wants to destroy us. He knew that he was not, he, he was not just walking through life in a bed of roses, but that he himself could turn over and he could shut off that nozzle, even accidentally. You know, think, not even thinking about it. When we start to do things in our own strength, when we start to do even good things in our own strength, that's, that's shutting it off. Okay, so even Paul was concerned with that. So let's take just for a second here, you know, we, why, why, do we, why do we care? Okay? Why do we care? Because if, 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 if it's more about what we're trying to do here on earth to, to live a good life, to live a safe life, to live a happy life, why does it matter what happens then? Why do these rewards matter? I'm going to heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. What does it matter? Well, I want you to get a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And this actually, I don't want to rabbit trail here, but this is a phenomenal study. The Bible tells us a lot about what heaven is going to be like and what heaven is not going to be like. So a small glimpse into heaven. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5 says this, and this is in the new heaven and new earth. This is after Christ returns. And the night will be no more. 
They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign. And he's talking about those who are saved, those who overcome. And they will reign forever and ever. Reign over what? Reign over what? Do, do, do all the humans reign over the angels, perhaps? That's what I used to think. Okay? So think about that a second. We will reign over something. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Just a few pages over. Revelation 3, verse 12. Now John here again is qualifying some, adding a little more information. He says this, and this is, uh, this is the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. He says, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Neither shall he go out of it, or never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This was a place of authority. If you look in Solomon's temple in the, in the Old Testament, the pillars were a symbol of authority. They were a symbol of foundation. They were a symbol of structure. And what, what John is saying, or Jesus Christ through John is saying, to the Church of Philadelphia is, if you endure, if you conquer, if you hold on to what I have told you to do, I'm going to make you a pillar in the New Jerusalem. He doesn't say that to everybody. He doesn't say that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do whatever you want after that, and, and then I'm just going to make you a pillar in the New Jerusalem. He doesn't say that. He said, if you conquer... We talked about earlier, if you endure, if you do these things, and we're going to talk about those here in a minute. Revelation 21. Turn to Revelation 21. Here's another glimpse outside of the New Jerusalem, what it's going to be like. Revelation 21, verse 22 to 26. And I saw no temple in the city. Now, by the way, what's happening here in the... In the this is, this is after the Lord returns, after the tribulation, and, and after the thousand-year reign, all that. Then he recreates the earth. He, he recreates, and Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the new created Jerusalem, comes down to the earth. And do you understand that God will then reign on earth? Isn't that pretty wild? He doesn't have us go to heaven. He comes to us. That fulfills the prophecy of him taking the throne of David, by the way, for, for the, for the uh, Israelites. But so, so what's happening here is there's a new earth, new Jerusalem. And he said, and I saw no temple in the city, being the new Jerusalem, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, because he is on the throne. He is on the throne of David at this point. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. Pay attention to this. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
And then it goes on and says, the gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. Verse 26, they will bring into it, being that these kings, the glory and the honor of the nations. So we know in heaven, there's going to be different statuses. There's going to be kings, it says it right there. There's going to be nations, it says it right there. Not everyone will live in the New Jerusalem. Not everyone will live in a specific nation. There are going to be nations on the earth. There's going to be authority. And without getting into it, understand that when we're given crowns, remember, there are crowns and there are rewards, eternal rewards. These are all eternal things. Okay, however, the crowns are a little bit different. Crowns are crowns of authority. Whenever the Bible talks about a crown, it talks about authority. We will be given authority. And what do we do? We lay them at Jesus' feet. Does that mean we give back the authority? No. That is the recognition in the supreme authority. When we lay those crowns at Jesus' feet, which by the way, not everybody receives a crown. There are fruit that have to be present to receive a crown. There have to be, has to be fruit present in our walk with Jesus Christ here on earth in our sanctification to receive this authority. To receive these rewards. And then we lay them at Jesus' feet, knowing that he is the supreme ruler. So we all have this opportunity. We all have, from the moment we're saved, this opportunity to grow our relationship in him. Again, it's not about doing the works. I want want to make sure that's really clear. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew 6.33 says, Seek him in his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. It didn't list ten things we had to do. It didn't say, do this, do that, do this, do that. It said, seek him. Seek him where he is. He's in his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And everything else is added to us. So Jesus Christ made it simple. He made it simple, not only to be saved, but to be sanctified. That that sanctification process does not have to overwhelm you. Oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, you know, I, I, you know, maybe God wants me to, to witness to this person, maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. He says all we have to do is keep the main thing the main thing. If you seek Jesus Christ with your whole heart, He'll lead you to those other things. Because it won't be you doing it. It'll be him doing it. If you seek him with your whole heart, he will show you the works. And then those works will be built with the right ingredients. Because they're not ones that you do. They're ones that he does. And his are eternal. The ones that we do get burned up. So it's just knowing that I need to take care with my relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do you build a relationship here on earth? Those of you who are married, how do you how did you start that relationship? You know, unlike perhaps the old world where 
They were just said, okay, this person marries this person, good luck, and you meet on your wedding day. <laughs> Let's set that aside for just a second, because that's not the world we live in. How did you build that relationship? For those of you not married, how about a best friend? How did you build that relationship? First, you started talking, right? You asked them about what they like. You asked them about who they are, what they think, what they believe in. And then you had to take time to tell them the same things about you. Do you know it's no different with our relationship with Jesus Christ? It's the same exact thing in our relationship. We have to get to know Him. We have to let Him get to know us. Now, He knows us from the beginning to the end, so I'm not saying that. But by opening our life to Him, we're sharing our life with Him. Because you can cut Him out. You could turn off that faucet. You could decide not to let Him in. But to build a proper relationship, you have to have the two-way. You have to seek Him, and you have to be with Him. You have to open up to Him. Notice I'm not saying open up to other people. Okay? And I'm not saying you don't build a relationship with other people, because you do. You build a relationship with Jesus Christ. First thing He's going to have you do is build relationships with other people, because the body of Christ are made up of many members. And we're supposed to be together and unified. But it starts with that relationship with Him. Are you in the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Do you seek to understand what He's trying to tell you in the Word of God? Do you pray? Those are two pretty simple things. But see, where I got kind of hung up is in the doing of those things. And it's different when your motivation is relationship. When you see somebody that you want to be their best friend, you not only want them to know you, you want to know them. You want to spend time with them. Because you enjoy it. Because you love to spend time with them. And love grows from that. Trust grows from that. Hope grows from that. Faith grows from that. So are you spending time with him? And it's a relationship. Remember, Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to have that relationship with us. So what relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? Do you let him work in your life? Is the Holy Spirit real to you in your life? Or, or is he just kind of the confusing one of the Trinity? Because in reality, that's real easy to think that. If he has not worked in your life in a personal level, you're not going to know who the Holy Spirit is. But yet the Holy Spirit is who Christ was so excited to get to the cross because then he would be sent. Do you know that the disciples were not saved until Jesus Christ had already died and was risen. Think about that. Those three years that he was with the disciples, they weren't saved. If you read in John, it said, after he rose from the dead, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. That's when they were saved. Now, they happened to be living at the time where 
Salvation changed. Right? The new covenant began right then. They were saved. But, did that mean that they automatically had a relationship with the Holy Spirit? No. Read Acts. Read Acts chapter 1. Where Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now remember, this is already after he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Because he can't come until I leave. See, the Holy Spirit didn't come until Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and took his place at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit couldn't come. He said, I need to leave in order that he is he's sent. So when he left, he said, go to Jerusalem, wait. Wait and just wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise. And so that's what they did. They went to, the, to Jerusalem, and then that's when we see what happened at Pentecost. So that was different than their salvation. That was different than the Spirit of Christ coming and dwelling in their heart that justified them before the Father. Okay? Because that judgment is between Christians and the world. Saved, unsaved. So the gift of the Holy Spirit then that he breathed on them was that seal. He breathed on them that seal. He did not breathe on them that relationship. The relationship of the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. That relationship that you feel in your lives is with the Holy Spirit because he was sent after Jesus Christ ascended. So do you see, we, we, have, we have this capability, this possibility. Our relationship isn't just in the Word of God. You know, I can read about Jesus in words. It's, I can have a relationship with him because he does something in my heart. Because he dwells in my heart. Because the spirit that was sent after he ascended is seeking relationship with me. So if I keep the one thing, the main thing, the main thing, then he can begin to pour out of me. And we have to be careful not to ignore this. Because it could cost. Can't cost us our justification, can't cost us our ticket to heaven, if you will. But we could suffer loss when we stand before the king. We could stand there with that one meanness that we were given and we were too afraid to step out of our comfort zone and let him work in our life and just say, I was too afraid, I knew, I knew that you were a hard man. And so here, I, I've got what you gave me. I didn't lose that. I've got what you gave me. But what was his reaction to the servant? What he gave them was an investment. Do you know when Jesus Christ covered you in his blood, he made an investment into you. He made an investment into you to use you to further him. So we can choose, we can take that and we can hide it. We cannot do anything with it. 
And I won't lose it. I'll take care of it. I'll hide it so nobody steals it. But I didn't invest with it. And we'll suffer loss for that. He was displeased with that servant. In fact, the very investment that he gave for that servant, he said, give it to the one who had ten. Now these are not about talents. These are not about, you look at another person and say, they're, they're so much more talented than me, so yeah, of course they're going to do ten and I'm, I'm going to do three. Now that, that's not what Jesus Christ looks at. He looks at the intent of the heart. Everybody in here has the same opportunity as everyone else because it's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Not about what you do. The works are just the bubbling over of that water. The works are being filled so full that you can't contain him anymore. Those are the works that are going to hold up. Those are the works that you don't have to compare to anybody else. I mean, do you know that there are people in the bush of Africa that that have no opportunity to do anything that we have? They, they They may see 50 people their whole life. Who knows? They have no opportunity to do what we can do. But yet, do you understand that they have the capability of the same reward? Because it's about their relationship. It's about them opening themselves up to a relationship with Holy Spirit. And letting the Holy Spirit work in their lives. I want to read one last thing to you. And this is a little bit scary. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is a tough book anyways. But I want you to understand that if we get caught in this world as Christians, it can have very devastating effects. And and what we're reading here in Hebrews chapter 10 is an extreme, but I want you to understand that it's there. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read 26 to 36. It says this, For if we go on sinning, Okay, and Paul is talking to, I say Paul, you know, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but anyways, that's why I think it is. But what he's saying, he's speaking to Christians here. Whoever wrote the book, he's speaking to Christians. For if we go on sinning deliberately, in other words, we know what we're doing. It's not talking about all sin. It's talking about sin that we know. Okay, sin we've already been convicted of, and we have made a deliberate choice. To do it. Okay? For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, which is our salvation, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, what Paul's talking about here is a difference from the Old Testament to the New. He's saying, and we'll see it here in a second, but, but there were in, in Levitical. Uh, law, there, there were things that they had to give sacrifice for if they sinned, right? Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And by the way, what he's talking about there is that there is, 
In, in the law of Moses, there were three sins that did not have sacrifice for them. You could not sacrifice for these three sins. And, and um, uh, what they were was murder. Uh, where did I put it? It was murder. Here it is. Adultery, murder, and blasphemy. Those three things the law did not have a sacrifice for. Okay? That's why he's saying that you, there no longer remains a sacrifice for these sins. So verse 29. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who is trampled underfoot, the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant? Talking about this new covenant. Talking about the grace that Jesus Christ gives because he died on the cross for our sins. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? By which he was sanctified. And has outraged the Spirit of grace. Why would he outrage the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is who lives in us. The Holy Spirit is who we have this relationship with. The one that we are supposed to build our relationship with. Verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And then I just want to, see, I want to skip down to verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What it's talking about here is that we, when we deliberately live in sin, deliberately pursue that over our relationship with Jesus Christ. And these are people that are saved. Okay, when we choose to live outside of our relationship with him and choose to live for ourselves, there are earthly consequences. Okay, we will suffer loss in our rewards. But what he's saying here, he's comparing it to the law of Moses, there are earthly consequences. You will pay a price If you are a child of God living in the world, you're going to pay a price here in this world. There is no joy in you. Because the seed of Jesus Christ is in you, and it fights with the seed of this world that you are trying to let in. And you can't, because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So do you see that warfare there? Do you see that battle over your mind, over your will? So when we choose not to develop this relationship with Jesus Christ, we just keep running into problems. We get nowhere. We keep moving and wondering why we can't get beyond the point that we're at. We just keep running into problem after problem after problem. It might might go good for a while because sin lasts for a season. And by the way, it's not just about flagrant sin. If you know that you're supposed to seek Jesus Christ and you don't, that's deliberate. We'll pay for that. We'll pay for that because the enemy then can come in and take his liberties with us. 
So we find ourselves churning, almost like you're a car in mud. You keep going, you can't get anywhere. You're, you're pushing on the gas, your, your tires are spinning, but you're not going anywhere. Or you might spin fast enough, you go a little ways and then stop again. The only thing that gets us forward in life as Christians is when we develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, when we trust him, because he wants to build faith in us. That's what pleases him, Hebrews 11.6. And that's what produces hope in us. Go ahead and bow your heads.